This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. In our second segment today, we're going to speak with a professor of physics from UC Berkeley, one Dr. Richard Muller. Dr. Muller has won the Distinguished Teaching Award at Berkeley twice for his introductory course on physics aimed at non-majors. He has written a book titled Physics for Future Presidents, which goes into uh, some of the things that, uh, that one should know about physics because such facts dictate policy or should. I think you will find that to be a uh, provocative discussion in our second segment, so by all means... Stick around for that. We also have to announce that our good pal Will Durst will not be with us this week and possibly next week because he had a little back surgery. He noted in an email that hopefully he'll be back next week, adding, get it? Back? Okay? Never mind. You see the problem. Well, yes, we do, Will, and get well soon. So let us commence this program as we like to do week in and week out with On This Date in History. Our date in question is October 8th, and it was on October 8th in 1871 that the Great Chicago Fire began. And no, it was not due to the fact that Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over a lantern. The fire destroyed 90,000 people's homes and ravaged the city's thriving downtown. I believe there were even more fatalities in, in Peshtigo, Wisconsin, and there were also several fires that started simultaneously in Michigan. There is a credible theory that all of these fires were started from a rain of meteorites. Some have called this into the question because meteorites are generally uh, cool enough to handle after they land, but has been amply demonstrated uh, throughout history, a large enough object can blow up in the air, such as happened in Tunguska, Siberia in 1908. And uh, there apparently were reports of some unusual meteorite activity about the time of the fires. Unfortunately, this correspondent was unable to lay his hand on the very interesting article in Astronomy Magazine from several years ago that talked about this. But uh, I will uh, check the records again, and next time we talk about stuff from space hitting the Earth, which we like to do every so often, we'll revisit that one. As Mr. McWillan says he's sticking with the cow theory. Yay! Which he feels is at least equally likely. This date was a red-letter day for fashion because it was on October 8th in 1906 of the first permanent wave, or perm, was demonstrated by German hairdresser Karl Ludwig Nessler at his salon in Oxford Street, London. The procedure took five hours and required the supplicant to wear a dozen brass curlers, each weighing nearly two pounds. You know, you don't see a lot of perms lately, which I think is probably a good thing. On October 8th in 1919, the first round-trip transcontinental air race across North America began with 63 competitors taking to the sky from airfields in New York and California. On October 8th in 1967, a Bolivian guerrilla force led by Marxist revolutionary Che Guevara was defeated in a skirmish with a special detachment of the, of the Bolivian army with major assistance from uh, the American CIA. Guevara was wounded captured and executed the next day. He had played a pivotal role in the Cuban Revolution and encouraged Fidel Castro to pursue his communist, anti-American agenda. Since his death, Guevara has been idolized as a hero of leftist third world revolutions, and he's certainly the poster boy of the Cuban Revolution. 
Two years later, in 1970, Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a leading critic of Soviet domestic oppression, won the Nobel Prize in Literature. And finally, in a rather dark day of American politics, on October 8, 1998, the U.S. House of Representatives voted 258 to 176 to conduct impeachment hearings against President Bill Clinton. The charges? Perjury, obstruction of justice, witness tampering, and abuse of power in connection with an extramarital affair. Contrast this with a recently departed George W. Bush, who lied about getting us into wars, trampled on civil liberties, took actions, or rather inactions, which led directly to our financial meltdown, after ignoring the evidence that a guy named Osama bin Laden was interested in attacking the United States. He completed his term of office without any charges of perjury, obstruction of justice, witness tampering, and abuse of power. To uh, his credit, our current governor, Arnold Schwarzenegger, said that that era was one that made him ashamed to have been a Republican, referring, of course, to the impeachment of Bill Clinton. Our quote of the day comes from Bill Clinton, who a couple weeks ago on Meet the Press was asked if the right-wing conspiracy that his wife famously said was undermining his presidency in 1998 was undermining the Obama presidency. Without hesitation, Clinton smiled and said, You bet. To which I would add, same people, different decade. Our quip of the day comes from humorous Ken Hubbard. If you want work well done, select a busy man. The other kind has not time. Our joke of the day comes from Conan O'Brien, who said, After I made a joke about Newark, New Jersey last week, the mayor banned me from flying into Newark Airport. Now I'll have to get there the same way everyone else does, through a series of poor choices. Our stat of the day is 450 years. That's estimated time for a plastic bottle to degrade completely in a marine environment. Our bonus sad stat, plastic accounts for 16% of all municipal solid waste in this country. And 50 to 80% of the waste littering beaches, oceans, and seabeds. It's time to give glass another look. All right, let's see if we can't move into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week for bad taste. Last week, after Kings Island Amusement Park in Mason, Ohio, took down its Halloween haunt display of skeletons of dead celebrities. Yes, these included Michael Jackson, Heath Ledger, and slain NFL quarterback Steve McNair, along with his mistress. Said a park spokesman, We weren't intending for it to be distasteful. No? Well, what were you intending it to be? Wow. Conversely, it was a bad week, according to the magazine last week, for staying on task after 16 Polk County, Florida drug investigators who raided a house in search of drugs were caught on a security camera playing the suspect's Wii bowling game for nine straight hours. And it was an ugly week last week for your tax dollars when it was revealed that the 600-mile-long fence being built along the U.S.-Mexico border is seven years behind schedule, millions of dollars over budget, and will cost taxpayers $6.5 billion to maintain over the next 20 years. 
And speaking of money not necessarily well spent, it was revealed that conservative populist Glenn Beck is going to earn more than $23 million this year from his immensely successful radio and TV shows, websites, and podcasts, along with his books, which are bestsellers. Proving once again that P.T. Barnum was right. You are not likely to go broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. All right, we have an email from Peter which suggests that uh, Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad apparently is Jewish, or at least reportedly his identity card, which he held up for election, during the elections last year, showed that uh, he was previously known as Saburjian, which is a Jewish name meaning cloth weaver. Reportedly, a short note scrawled on the card suggests his family changed its name to Ahmadinejad when they converted to embrace Islam after his birth. And no, we did not look this one up on Snopes, but it seems to have the ring of truth. And so if you have any comment on that, please send it to us at info at radioparallax.com. And a letter to the editor, not to us, from the Sacramento Bee kind of caught my eye, which I thought I would repeat. It came from Margaret K. Lower in Sacramento, writing in response to the fact that the Lodi City Council was voting to stick with prayers. Margaret noted that uh, three political issues seem to define modern Christianity in America. The first is homosexuality, which Jesus never mentioned and is only briefly mentioned in the Bible among hundreds of commandments, most of which have long since been discarded as inappropriate to our times. The second is abortion, which is never mentioned in the Bible by Jesus or anyone else. That one I've researched, and I know it's true. These people that are are foaming at the mouth, anti-abortionites, ask them to show you where in the Bible it says abortion is wrong. And no, I don't accept thou shalt not kill. The Bible is pretty specific about who it is that you can kill and when you can kill them, etc., etc. It doesn't say squat about abortion. Anyway, back to Margaret's letter. The third is public prayer, which is railed against by Jesus of Nazareth. He recognized that public devotions were not for the purpose of seeking divine guidance, but were performed by, quote, hypocrites, unquote, wanting to be, quote, seen of men, unquote. He wisely suggested that you cannot simultaneously put on a show for the neighbors or fellow council members and communicate with the sacred. Quote, When thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut the door, pray to thy father in secret. Matthew 6, 6. She goes on, It's hard to understand why so many who consider themselves Christian advocate so strongly against the specific teachings of Christ, not just for themselves, but also for those who don't share their traditions and those who find such behaviors anathema to true religious expression. Margaret Lower, well said. A letter we don't approve of came from Michael Saxon of Davis commenting, as we did last week, on the Roman Polanski fiasco. Reacting negatively to the Sacramento Bee's viewpoint, titled, Pursue Polanski, It's Hard to Justify Now, Said Mr. Saxon, if the same rape had been committed by Roman Polanski, the factory worker, he'd be in prison today. 32 years later, I don't think so. Polanski, the director, should be behind bars. It's a matter of equality before the law and worth the cost of the taxpayers. I, again, I don't think so, Mr. Saxton. In fact, there's been uh, righteous indignation all across Europe for this little matter. Luke Debrain writing in Switzerland's Le Temps said, Polanski isn't the first great artist to be hounded out of the U.S. In his day, Charlie Chaplin was persecuted because of his taste for young girls. During Chaplin's divorce from Lita Gray, whom he impregnated when she was 16, 
as his wife, by the way, the American press went wild with revelations of his so-called perversion. Later during the McCarthy era, he was accused of being a communist, and he ultimately fled to, of all places, Switzerland. How ironic that it's we Swiss who have now denied Polanski sanctuary. By the way, during Charlie Chaplin's divorce, this is in like the late 1920s, it was brought out that he was a pervert, or at least the prosecution tried to claim he was perverted, because of the fact that, according to his wife, he had enjoyed performing oral sex. In his defense, Chaplin told the court, that's something all married couples do, a fact which was hotly disputed by Americans' guardians of public morality. Of course, commenting on the fact that the Swiss are a little bit uh, rubbed raw by the fact that the U.S. has leaned on them to reveal uh, some of their uh, bank accounts to the IRS, Francis La Tribune noted that uh, Switzerland has handed America a poison chalice in the form of assistance on the Polanski case. You want judicial cooperation? All right, here's your judicial cooperation. President Obama is now caught between two fires. His friends and supporters in Hollywood will be clamoring for Polanski's release. But if he makes the slightest gesture of sympathy for the director, the moral right will pounce, saying he's defending a sex offender. Boy, I wonder if, if, I wonder if that is what's going on. Coming in America, Cokie Roberts said, uh, you know, he's a rapist. As far as I'm concerned, they can take him out and shoot him, which is quite a lovely sentiment. The Washington Post has noted that uh, Polanski's victim, now 45, says she forgives him and does not want a trial. It's been pointed out that Polanski has an understandable fear of irrational punishment. His mother died in Auschwitz, and in 1966, police briefly considered him a suspect when his pregnant wife was murdered by the Manson cult. Said Patrick Goldstein in the LA Times, California's justice system is in crisis. You'd hope that LA County prosecutors had better things to do than hounding a film director for a 32-year-old sex crime. And good God, we agree. But of course, the opinions you hear in this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regents of the University of California. And regrettably, also the, the L.A. County Prosecutor's Office. All right, and speaking of the L.A. Times, I don't know if any of you caught the excellent special that was on PBS on Tuesday. I happened to be reading the Week magazine at the time, noting that uh, it was describing a documentary about the Chandlers and their times. And I immediately flipped it on and caught most of it. It was a tremendous documentary, which I think I'll return to talking about in our third segment today. God, we're still doing follow-up. Okay. The uh, California Aggie football team went to Boise, Idaho, and uh, acquitted themselves well. We were fearful that the fifth-ranked uh, Boise State team would uh, run up the score on the Aggies, but noted Mike Sullivan writing for the Sacramento Bee, the contest will be forever noted in the record books as a UC Davis loss. Yet the winning team was feeling a lot worse afterward than the losing squad. Undermanned UC Davis put quite a scare in the number five Boise State on Saturday night before succumbing 34-16 at Bronco Stadium in a contest that was surprisingly closer than the final score. We played some very good football. We really did, said coach Bob Biggs. We played a very good football team and sparred with them the whole game. They were just a little better. They outpointed us when it came to the end. Final score in that game was 34-16. to But uh, apparently the Aggies were in it up till the last, uh, last touchdown was scored. 
All right, and some follow-up we did reading Marcos Breton's excellent column on the homeless a couple weeks back. We have an article in the uh, Sacramento Bee uh, about this ongoing problem. Bee columnist Ginger Rutland noted that the homeless issue was a Bee editor and columnist Ginger Rutland said that as Joan Burke, the tireless homeless advocate from Loaves and Fishes, has said repeatedly, the safe ground movement is a response to an emergency, not the usual natural disaster kind of emergency of floods, fires, or hurricanes, but a slow-moving series of catastrophes that have driven a sizable number of people from their homes. Well, Ginger, with all due respect, we disagree. We are particularly unimpressed by the article, Homeless View, a way station to recovery by Joseph Kreintz, described as a homeless leader. Said Mr. Kreintz, Sacramento's infamous tent city has Sacramentans living under third world conditions. A safe ground would provide a safe and sane alternative that could be implemented before the coldest months of winter. Some advantages, a mailing address, a way to keep yourself and your clothes clean, safety, a front door that locks, a base of operations to get your life in order and move on, job training and small business development, a place to evaluate people's needs and find out what will help them most, and referrals to medical help, psychiatric help, and drug and alcohol recovery programs. Gee, I guess he left off that vacation in San Diego and, and the new car, which these people have earned because of, of, of what exactly? Commenting on this idea for a, a safe ground, local business owner Steve Ayers said in the B, this is one more solution being forced on the city and the river district after we've accepted more than our fair share of homeless and transient services and shelters. Several other cities have implemented tent cities utilizing various modes. A critical feature has been the selection of a location that is removed from the inner city. This model limits potential issues with neighborhoods and businesses, lowers the need for security, and promotes a shift from reliance on services to empowerment and self-sufficiency. In addition, this model protects the tent city residents and adjacent neighborhoods and business dealers from various predators, including drug dealers. And best of all, we like the commentary by some Sacramento police officers, Mark Zulis and Mike Cooper, who said the following. Many have asked us, what do you think about the idea of safe ground? We believe safe ground is a great temporary step toward a real solution. This begs the question of what a real solution is for the homeless community. For many years, the homeless community has received food, clothing, and services without any requirements or expectations to make lifestyle changes or seek solutions to the root cause of their individual issues. A safe ground that provides free land without rules and expectations to address the problems that created their homelessness would only continue to enable an unhealthy lifestyle. They went on. A major contributor to the homeless problem is loaves and fishes, which is named for the miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread and fish. Was it Jesus' intent to feed them every day for 25 years? Would it not be better to teach them how to fish, thus enabling them to feed themselves? Shelter is a step in the right direction, but it's a step to nowhere if we don't have the expectations that living outside is not okay and that people should expect more for their lives. Anyway, after the, uh, the third or fourth burglary in my neighborhood, which may or may not, but I lean toward may, have been caused by homeless people moving through their, uh, from downtown to their encampment sites on the river, uh, I'm just getting a little sick of enabling behavior. If you wish to help the homeless, I encourage you to do so. But I've witnessed downtown Sacramento dying off for a couple of decades now in no small part 
due to the fact that there is an army of homeless people living in the downtown area. There's got to be a better way. Anyway, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We're going to come back and talk about physics for future presidents. Stay tuned. <laughs> 